Welcome to Profiles, a three-part podcast that dives deep into the lives of promotional products professionals. This episode is brought to you by Geiger, where you get what you need with an experienced global company, a supportive family of like-minded peers with a strong sense of corporate social responsibility and superior e-commerce and cybersecurity technology. Some roads aren't meant to be traveled alone. Join Geiger and experience success. Hello and welcome to our third series of Promo Corner's new podcast, Profiles, where we'll be talking with longtime industry professionals about their experiences and their take on the promotional products world today. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and we very much appreciate your taking time out of your busy day to listen. This month's guest has been in the world of promotional products for a very long time. He was only 18 in 1950 when he formed a company and started packaging various food gifts together to sell to local businesses. And when I was a senior, uh, I went out uh, driving around Waterloo, Iowa, about 30 mile radius. First call I made was a company in Vinton, Iowa, uh, a tiny town, a Vinton Lumber. You never forget your first order. Uh, and uh, they gave me an order for about um, $300. And uh, I thought, gee, that's great. And so uh, I really started thinking, you know, maybe I could make something. I called the company Santa Claus Associates. The Wall Street Journal called our guest the Sultan of Swag in a 2012 front page article. He testified before Congress about the deductibility of promo products as a business expense, and he persuaded his dad in 1962 to buy a company that was deeply in debt. He's been both heralded and derided by suppliers and distributors over the years as he worked to build his family business. But he has a heart of gold and deeply loves this industry that he's helped shape over the last 70 years. His name is Norman Cohen, and he's the chairman of the Advertising Specialty Institute, better known as ASI. I, I can say that you will never interview a more lucky person than I have been. And uh, I hope I never forget that or never forget where I came from. Uh, those are important things to me. Let's return, though, to his beginnings in the early 1950s when he met with a customer and talked turkey. Well, literally, thousands of turkeys. And then one day, about three years later, uh, I was 21 by now, I called on Pillsbury Mills in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You never forget your biggest order. <laughs> and... Um, I would go in as I traditionally did and ask whoever was uh, the receptionist. I'd like to talk to whoever bought their Christmas gifts. And she gave me to a person called Warren McCoy. Again, you don't forget the person who gave you a giant order. That first one anyway. And so uh, I went into Mr. McCoy's office and told him that, you know, maybe they would think about giving out gifts. And he said, it's interesting you have arrived here today. Yesterday, the board of directors of Pillsbury, they were a giant public company selling flour, had Ballard Biscuit, a huge company, uh, decided we wanted to give out turkeys to each of our employees. I said, gee, we can handle that for you, Mr. McCoy. Truthfully, at that point, I had sold in the three previous years 
if I exaggerate slightly, maybe 200 turkeys in total over the three years. And so I said to him, about how many employees do you have, sir? Uh, he said, 7,000. I said, that's no problem. Uh, of course, I was a young kid. And, uh, you know, the lucky thing, there wasn't technology like there is today, Steve, because if there had been technology, he could have looked us up, found out that I was 21 years old, that I was operating out of the basement of my parents' home, and I would have been kicked out of their office in 30 seconds. Fortunately, he didn't do that, and uh, I got the order. His father had a few basic questions about the order, such as where would they get the money to purchase 7,000 turkeys, and how would they deliver them? Norman had met a banker through a group he was part of, and that's where he started. So I went and told him I had this order, and all I needed was the money. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, let me see the order, and it was a legitimate order, obviously. And he said, let me get back to you. And a couple of days later, he said, okay, we'll finance the order. So now I had that problem solved. Now all I had to do was figure out how to get from the places where the turkeys were being killed and frozen, et cetera, uh, to the 16 plant locations of Pillsbury. Uh, and so I looked up around the country, there were frozen storage facilities, wrote a bunch of them of that I needed storage for you know hundreds of turkeys. Uh, and needed to be delivered the day before Thanksgiving. And I got enough storage facilities to do that. So that was done. And then it came time for the turkeys and all worked out, got the check uh, immediately after Thanksgiving. Uh, so that solved the banker's concern and my father's as well. And uh, uh, went back the next year and uh, everything was fine and I got that order for four more years. Long before PPAI or ASI existed, there was a group called the Advertising Specialty National Association, or ASNA, and Norman approached them about exhibiting his food gifts at their trade show. Back then, these shows weren't in a huge exhibit hall, but were what they called room shows. A, a trade show uh, in those days uh, that was actually in the world of room shows, not like trade shows today. Uh, they took over a hotel and each of the exhibitors, their members, were in a room. And you didn't go up and down the aisles of a hotel or like today at a trade show. You had an appointment in advance. So at four o'clock, you were supposed to see whatever company that you had an appointment with. You went to their room in the hotel, knocked on the door, and uh, you were welcomed in. And they talked to you for a half hour, hour, depending on what your situation was. So I found out about this show and, and asked to become a member so we could sell our food gifts in this industry and was turned down. He was told no one sold food gifts, and since he wasn't selling logoed products, there wasn't a place for his company at the show. Then he heard of a new association being started by a guy named Joe Siegel. I found out there was a new association uh, being formed by Joe Siegel called Advertising Specialty Guild, and they were anxious to get any kind of exhibitor. I assume, truthfully, if I had been selling snakes, 
or almost anything you can name of, they would have been happy to have us pay an, an exhibit. They exhibited at the show for the next few years with mediocre results and then started to acquire other suppliers. Over the next few years, we acquired or started a number of other companies. And for a very brief time, we were the largest supplier in the industry. However, don't be impressed. The industry in those days was not the 20 plus billion dollar industry that it is today. It was a very small industry. It was about this time Joe Siegel came back into Norman's life, a friendship that would change Norman and his family's lives forever. I became friends with Joe Siegel, who had founded ASI. He was a student at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and was selling book matches to businesses to make enough money so he could go to school. And some of his customers asked him for other products. He didn't have any other products, but he decided he would find some. And he went to the library and looked up various directories and got a list of companies that made related type products in those days, not food gifts, but logo tradition like matchbooks in those days. And uh, not only offered him to the people in Philadelphia that he'd sold matchbooks to, but he made a list which he called the register, which had uh, maybe 200 names of companies that made logo products. And he offered it to anybody who wanted to buy it. Up until the late 1950s, there were large distributors called direct houses who manufactured their own products like pens, calendars, or bags, which they then sold to the end user. The salespeople with companies like Brown & Bigelow Bankers Advertising, The Vernon Company, Shed Brown, and Geiger Brothers could only sell products the company they worked for produced. Now, with Joe Siegel's register, these salespeople could go out on their own and offer a variety of products to their customers. Well, this did not make these direct houses happy in any way. When Joe Siegel came in the business and had this directory of a couple hundred potential suppliers, some of the salesmen of the direct houses uh, who wanted to go on their own or wanted to add items that direct houses didn't offer, bought this and became either independent leaving the company or stayed with the company but started a different activity selling more products. So the direct houses hated Joe Siegel, as you can understand, because he was allowing or encouraging probably as well their salespeople to go out on their own. And uh, he was, Joe was unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, uh, is an idea person. Uh, and he started maybe 20 different companies, um, maybe three were successful. ASI happened to be one eventually, but also Home Shopping Network, which you may have heard of, and Franklin Mint, uh, which you may have heard of, were, the other two that were extraordinarily successful. In any regard, uh, he was a perfectionist, wasn't satisfied with the printing that he was acquiring, uh, people were providing him with. So he put in his own printing equipment. He had little money. They're very expensive in those days equipment. And 
eventually needed money. Siegel's perfectionism forced him to take out loans from an agency sponsored by the government called the Small Business Investment Company, or SBIC for short, to acquire these printing presses. Norman takes it from there. And Joe, at one time, ASI, was the largest uh, borrower of small business investment companies. And unfortunately, after a couple of years, uh, he wasn't able to make a profit, and the small business investment companies didn't want to stick around. So Joe had to sell. And uh, because we were friends, uh, he mentioned this to me in a phone call. And uh, again, I told my dad, we are the biggest advertiser in ASI, our group of companies. Look, if we bought it, we could then get our advertising for free. So we thought, you know, I was telling my dad, what a great concept. He said, well, I'll give it a try. So anyway, Joe Siegel had lost in the previous three years with the SBIC investment, $4 million. Obviously, we, our family, weren't doing anything that could justify a $4 million risk or even close to it. However, I was still very young in those days and didn't understand what the world was really about. So I worked out an acquisition where we would pay the small business investment companies over a period of years, and it did eventually, uh, all that they were owed. And Joe Siegel became president of ASI. The catch-22 of this situation, though, was Norman's family was the largest supplier in the promotional products industry at the time, and the optics of them owning ASI wouldn't be taken well by other suppliers. However, since we were the largest supplier uh, in the industry, we couldn't announce it because the other suppliers who were advertisers customers of ASI wouldn't want to stick around if one of their competitors, which we were in some cases, owned what they were buying advertising from. So uh, for a couple of years, we ran ASI and nobody knew we owned it. And then I came to my father and said, Dad, you know, we're making more in ASI than we are making in our supplier business. Uh, I think we should concentrate on ASI and sell our supplier activities, which we did. We haven't been for many years. We bought ASI in 1962, and uh, this was about five years later that we sold our supplier activities and uh, concentrated on ASI. At one time, Norman testified before Congress on the deductibility of promotional products as business gifts. Luckily, his mom's admonition about truth and the length of one's nose didn't come true. At one point, I testified on behalf of the industry uh, to the United States Congress. Uh, and they were considering at that time disallowing the ability of a business to deduct business gifts. They were going to make it non-deductible. So on behalf of the industry, I testified. And a senator said to me, uh, Mr. Cohn, how large is your industry? Well, we were very small, but I exaggerated. Luckily, my mother's 
comment that if I didn't tell the truth, my nose would go longer wasn't true. So I said, uh, Senator, uh, our industry does, not our company, our industry, about $300 million. And that was, believe me, an exaggeration. <laughs> he said that was a lot. They didn't pass that legislation. After 70 years in this business, Norman says one of the greatest things about our industry is its resiliency. Most of the companies on both the supplier and distributor side of the aisle are small and were able to pivot as the needs of end users changed with the rise of COVID. Through all the times that the industry, and I've been 70 years in the industry, uh, has gone through tough times because, again, of a recession or because of a national crisis of one kind or another, it's always come back bigger and better. And uh, now it is a more than a $20 billion industry uh, as compared to when I was in front of Congress exaggerating a $300 million industry. You know, the great thing about our industry, Steve, uh, it's basically small business entrepreneurs. There are a few giant companies, some publicly owned, and there are a bunch of investment organizations now coming in acquiring which shows our industry's got long-term uh, benefits. And, uh, but uh, they're talking about now, uh, and the industry, because it's small entrepreneurs, can pivot. And so if you just said to me, Steve, two years ago, have we ever thought about masks or sanitizers or floor uh, signs? I hope I'd have been polite. But after you walked away to talk to somebody else, uh, I, I would have said to Tim Andrews, our president, or our family, Matthew and Stephanie, you know, Steve is a very bright guy, but boy, he doesn't understand the industry. Well, last year, because of the COVID problems, uh, those that were able to pivot by selling those products, some of them originally no imprint at all, but eventually imprinted the masks and, and jars of uh, uh, or bottles, I suppose is a better word, of uh, sanitizers uh, with logos, uh, we're able to have a decent year. In our next episode, Norman talks about bouncing back from the nightmare of the past year, how ours is a relationship business first and foremost, and he touches on how the animosity between ASI and PPAI has subsided over the years and why. From all of us here at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to Profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Profiles. Join us again as we continue to explore the lives of people who have impacted our industry. This episode is brought to you by Geiger, where you can experience growth with a global network of distribution and sales facilities and compensation that recognizes your worth. Join to support a family of like-minded peers because some roads aren't meant to be traveled alone. Join Geiger and experience success.